If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to be focusing on verse 5 and 6. And we're going to be looking at the, the character of Enoch. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for today. What a gorgeous day. Remind us, the Lord, that you each and every day lavish us with your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord, we look to you to guide us, to speak to us, to teach us your ways. That we would walk in your will, right in the middle of your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I titled this message, uh, Enoch's Walk of Faith. Now let me ask you a question before we get started. If there were one character in the Bible that you would attach yourself to, that you could identify with, if you've ever thought about that, who might it be? Sometimes it's like Paul. You know, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And sometimes we overlook this person, this person, Enoch. Briefly spoken Two verses, we'll look at in a second. But Enoch has had a a special effect upon my life. And I want to encourage you today to, to look at Enoch, because what we're doing is going through this hall of faith. But what we're looking at is really people. And we're looking, and I'm kind of doing, it's kind of a, a character study to help us understand why this person is is put in this hall of faith. But these are men that go before us. These are men that we can look to as mentors and examples and and learn from. And these are the men, as we talked about before, that will be cheering us on from heaven. Say, press on, continue on, go on. Grasp the fullness that God has for you. And that's what I found in a man like Enoch because he continued to walk in the Lord. He's an outstanding, again, character. But so little is mentioned of him. But there's much to draw from. Because that next generation looks back at the the faithfulness. And it's certainly, it's not you, it's God. Our part is only to surrender, to trust in Him. Enoch presents us a, a powerful and even profound picture of what a Christian life is supposed to look like. And the purpose of your life, really, without all the details, is a faithful walk with God. What is your walk like? Are you growing in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is your walk an encouragement to others around? To your family? To your friends? What do they think about you? And that should be true on you and me, that people see us and say, I want to follow. I want to walk as he walks. And I think when we look at Enoch, why there's very little about him, there's much we can see. 
It's in the fifth chapter, though, of Genesis. It reads like this. It's not on the screen. I'm just giving you names, cutting to the chase. It's like a walk through a a cemetery where tombstones reveal simple facts about people on earth. It's an engraving in, in monuments that's on the headstone. And you would find this. And Adam lived, and he died. And Seth lived, and he died. And Canaan lived, and he died. Mahalel lived, and he died. And Jared lived, and he died. And Methuselah lived, and he died. And Lamech lived, and he died. They lived, and they died. But Enoch, he never died. His walk with the Lord was for 300 years. We'll look at it in a second. And the Lord took him. The Lord was pleased with his walk. And and that should be a desire that, Lord, may my walk be pleasing. Lead me through those trials, those storms, that I learn how to walk with you. I learn how to trust in you, to lean upon you. See, God has set his love upon you. He demonstrated that love upon the cross. The Father has sent the Son to die for you and me. His love. God is love, and God wants to lavish you with his love each day. And God wants to bring you to him. That you would experience and you would know his love. I think Enoch knew that love. Oh, you don't need to be lavish with gifts, but just to know that God loves you. Isn't that wonderful? But so often in the church, they miss that picture. God so loved the world, I understand that, but they fail to think that God could love them. He loves you with an everlasting love. You're the apple of his eye. He adores you. And sometimes we grieve him with our choices and our actions. Let me read from our text. Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6, it says this. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained a witness before his being taken up that he was pleasing to God. And then verse 6 says this, And without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is at a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And this kind of gives us a picture of Enoch. Enoch sought after God. You know, in the Bible, it says that the key to the Sermon on the Mount is seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and he'll add all things to you. I believe this is true of Enoch. Well, in Genesis 5, verse 22, notice what it says. Enoch's walk was really a converted walk, and we see then Enoch walked with God. You cannot walk with God unless you've been born again. 
You cannot walk with God unless you have a, a relationship with them, unless you agree. In fact, let me read from Amos 3.3 on the screen. And it's the Amplified Translation. It says, do two walk together except for they make appointment and they have agreed? You cannot live for yourself. You cannot live for the world and have a walk with Jesus Christ. And yet many today say, well, I'm, I'm in the Spirit. And their life does not reflect that. Because if you're in the Spirit and I'm in the Spirit, it will reflect the love of Jesus Christ in this world, a concern for people, a compassion for the world around us. Enoch began his walk with God at the same place that everyone else must begin. It's conversion. He was converted. Now, Jesus Christ had not come, but in the Old Testament, what we learned that man was saved by faith. Abraham was saved by faith. When he believed God, it was accredited to him as righteousness. That faith is a believing faith. It's a faith that rests in who God is. God is willing and able to do everything that he said he can do. And he does it. And you have that assurance of that hope. See, the Christian life is, is not something that we're born with. It's so important that you and I be able to be available to the people around us. There are many who are professing believers but have never been born again. The mission field is right here, sometimes in our own family, in our own community. And God wants us to lift our heads up and look. Contrary to popular opinion of the universalist, not everyone is a child of God, not everyone will be saved. The Bible teaches there's only a remnant will be saved, a remnant who will trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Listen to John 8, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and a father of lies. Peter, so sure of himself, would deny Jesus three times, and Jesus tried to explain to him what would happen. No, no, no. His actions weren't godly actions. Matthew 23, verse 15 says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, because you travel around the sea in the land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Wow, those are harsh words. I don't like those words. But they are true. Many people are deceiving themselves. Second Corinthians, we're called to examine ourselves and see if we're the faith. What are our actions like? Are we walking like Christ? Do people see Christ in us? In John 3, 3, 
It says this, Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And, and the fact is, we need to be born from above. Not in baptism, in water. We need a supernatural birth. We need to have the Spirit of God living in us. And so many people in the body of Christ don't even know this verse. But when a person's born again, Christ comes in him, his spirit comes in him and lives and changes his life radically. And the world sees it around him. He becomes a, a witness, a testimony that God is real. And since the fall of mankind, every human being is born with a, a sinful nature. This is why you and I need to be born again, because we have this old man, this old nature. We need the nature of God dwelling in us. And little by little, God chips away that when a person's born again. He teaches you how to love others, to reach out to others, to care for others. There's many attempts in in a person's life to try and be good enough, but yet you and I fall short. All of sin, all fall short of the glory of God. You and me, if it not for the grace of God, you and I would be going to hell. And all we need to do is believe and trust and rest. Well, again, because of our sinful nature, our bent, our, our selfishness, our self-seeking, this is the very reason that Jesus Christ came into this world. That you might believe upon him, understood what he did for you and me on the cross, and then share this with the world. He took the punishment that you and I deserve because he loves you. Just as a mother or father, if they could, they, they, would, they, would, just, they would go and, and deal with anything if it was just so possible. You know as a mother, you know as a father, you would, you would take it all upon yourself. Jesus took it all upon himself because he loves you with this everlasting love. And then we kind of turn away from him and turn back in sometimes. He offered to trade his perfection for our imperfection so that we could become the righteousness of God. Unworthy, but his grace is sufficient. The person's born again, he sees you just as you've never sinned. Though practically... There's a lot of character building that still needs to be done in us. But what does it mean to be really converted? You say, what does it have to do with Enoch? Enoch was a man that was converted because he walked with the Lord. In a biblical sense, it means a turning. A turning away from the world's system, the world's ways, and and selfishness, and turning to God that our focus is upon Him. 
We focus upon the author, finisher, or faith. While they did not know Jesus Christ at the time, they focused upon God himself. On the promises. It's a spiritual turning away from sin and repenting and to put our faith for us in Christ Jesus, what he's done. It is sufficient. The price is paid. It's radically turning away from one path in order to pursue an entirely different path. You were headed to hell, but now you're headed to life. You're on the the path that was broad and wide that led to destruction, but now you're on the path. This narrow that leads to life. The scripture is clear that only few find it. You hear that idea of remnant again. And this is not something that we should keep secret. This is something that we need to share and watch and ask God to give us opportunities. It requires a turning one's back on the system of this world and its anti-God values. Oh, we're in the world, but not of the world. See, our hope is in heaven. We're, We're to be heavenly minded. Now, Let me give you a thought here, because when we're going to end up in this passage, it's going to end up with the rapture at the very end. It's not about looking for the rapture to come. Some look for the rapture to come, and some, it it could be like escapism. We're so exhausted with this world, so fed up with this world. We've turned away from it. We see the foolishness of it. Like Star Trek, beam me up, Lord. But you're here because there's still work to be done in you and there's work to be done around you. That you would be a part of what God's wanting to do to snatch someone out of the fire and put them before Jesus Christ or to bring them to Jesus Christ. We looked at that on Thursday night. When four men lowered the paralytic through the roof, desperate to bring their friend to Jesus, ripped the roof apart, lowered him right before Jesus. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. He healed him. The greatest need is forgiveness. That assurance, that peace. A peace with God, but also a peace that passeth all understanding when you know your sins are forgiven. First John 2, 15 and 17 says this, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, it's not from the Father. But it's from the world. The world is passing away and also it's lust. But the one who does not, or the one who does the will of God lives forever. There were a time that when I got saved, there were a lot of things I watched and there were a lot of things I began just one by one throwing them out of my life. And that's what happens to a believer. These things, they don't edify, they don't build up. They cause my mind to go other places. And you begin shedding all of these things in your life. It's a radical change, and people don't understand. Your friends don't understand it. 
these elements of worldliness are illustrated in the Garden of Eden. Eve was tempted in the same way that you and I are tempted. In Luke 4, in Matthew 4, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to be tempted in the same way, to show you and me how we would be victorious by trusting in the very Word of God. You can be saved, but you need to be saved, as we've talked about so much. And the devil opposes Christ at every turn. The flesh is hostile to the spirit. And the world hates the Father. When a person is born again, there's this change that happens. It turns away from dead religion and self-righteousness. It simply turns to Jesus, comes to Jesus. That's the simplicity of Christianity. Just come to Jesus and give your life. Trials will start, but he gives you the strength. He gives you the grace. He gives you the wisdom. He gives you the support network around you, the family, the body of Christ. To stand in the gap with one another, to hold one another up during those difficult times, whether it be in prayer or physically sometimes. When someone's lost a loved one, to wrap an arm around them and help them stand. It involves a complete about face. It leaves no room for sitting on the fence. You can't play hokey pokey with the Lord. But it's a complete change. And it's walking down that straight and narrow gate that leads to life. Matthew 7, verses 13, 14 says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few that find it. Sadly, Many who profess to be believers don't even know the word of God. So conversion involves really a changing of of direction. It's a spiritual conversion. It's, It's radical. And families often step back. Oh, what has happened? Have you got an occult? You don't want to watch the same things we watch. People begin to pull away. Friends don't want anything to do with you. But they'll watch. They'll watch from a distance. And if your walk is like Enoch, continue, as we'll talk about in a little while. You will see your friends, you will see your family come into the kingdom. If you make him preeminent, first in your life, If you seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, he'll take care of all those things. Not just your physical things, but things that affect your heart. True spiritual conversion radically affects the direction of one's life. No matter what 
any say. It's, it is not a, a partial change. It's not sitting or straddling on the fence. It's not superficial. It's just on the outside, and yet in our hearts, we, we're still focusing on those things, the negative things. We're not trying to do things in darkness and continue. No, it is radical. It is a total change. The old man goes out and the new man comes in. Conversion so is, is not this gradual change. The moment that you are born again, you are safe and secure in Christ. You have a choice each day to make. And we're going to see that in Enoch's life. In an instant, a decisive break, old patterns, sin, change. So conversion is involved a change of mind. It's an intellectual change of who God is. The blasphemy of the spirit that you'll find in the book of Matthew in chapter 12. was the rejection of Jesus Christ as their Messiah, that he was the Son of God. And there's going to have to come, he will not come until there's a change in a heart. And of course, God will work this out in this world. Involves a change in affections, in emotions, in feelings, in sorrow over sin committed against the Holy Spirit. But when you're born again, there's this conviction in your heart, I sinned against you, God, and you alone. It doesn't mean you won't sin again. And you have to be careful you don't callous your heart. David sinned. He sinned against Bathsheba. She, he arranged to have her husband killed. Psalm 51, he says, I sinned against you and you alone because all sin is against a holy God. You can't continue in your sin. It's the first evidence that you're believing. You'll never walk with God. And God says he's pleased with his walk, so he had to be converted based upon his knowledge with him. And as you walk with God, you have this knowledge. He's there with you in every circumstance you go through. Whether it be the mountaintop or the valley, he's there. You cannot get away from him. Because he indwells your heart. So conversion affects the whole person. Again, the mind, the affections, the will. Radically, completely, fully changed at conversion. And you'll see people that are radically changed. Like, and you'll see some that have gone through and they've said a sinner's prayer and they live like the rest of the world and they profess to be Christians. I'm glad that God knows and I don't have to judge. But you'll know them by their fruit. And it grieves God's heart and it should grieve your heart and my heart and we need to get on our knees and pray for them. Now, Matthew 7, 21 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. What's the will of the Father? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. 
Now, careful, demons believe. But that belief is from our hearts. Scripture is clear that we should love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and strength. Love our neighbors as ourselves. All the commandments hang upon that. I'm frustrated with that because, Lord, help me to love you with all of my heart. You hear the conviction? I know I fall short, but God sees me, sees you, if you're in that same place, just the same way. And he will give you that grace, and he'll give you that strength, and that's a sign that he's working in your heart and my heart. Conversion doesn't mean you're perfect. You're imperfect. And one day you'll be made perfect when God finishes his work in you and me. Now let's look at Genesis 5, verse 21 through 24. And we see, and we go back to the Old Testament, and we look at Enoch some more. It says, Enoch lived 65 years, and he became the father of Methuselah. And then he walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Oh my gosh. I'm aching now. <laughs> you know, can you imagine that? Things I know were different. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. Now, I want to call your attention in verse 22. It says, and Enoch walked with God. And in verse 24, Enoch walked with God. That's important because he's making the emphasis. His life was a life that walked with God. God knows how to reach you, but you have to make a conscious choice, a decision. God will initiate. He'll he'll give you a call. He will convict you of your sins. And if you respond to him and you're born again, then you will walk with him day in and day out. Each and every day. See, a converted walk is a walk of faith and not by sight. To walk with him, because you can't see God, oh, you can be aware of his presence, you can see him in someone else, but it's a walk by faith. Not by sight. Same thing for you and me, we walk by faith, not by sight. Believing what God has said, what he's shown us, what he's revealed. If we're saved, his spirit testifies with our spirit. We walk by faith, not by sight. I know that God does not lie. That faith is trusting in what God has said. If something would happen to your kids, your family, their belief, you know that you will see them face to face and you will see them in heaven. Your friends, your companions, your co-workers. God does not lie. That's a walk of faith. Taking him at his, his word. It's a walk that does not turn back no matter what happens in front. It's not a walk, again, like Lot's wife that, that was, was following, and then she turned back and ends up as a pillar of salt. That doesn't happen today, otherwise there would be a lot of pillars of salt all over wherever you're at. But it continues. See, 
Enoch's walk was a, a consecrated walk. We don't use that word as much. If you're in the King James, you'll hear, you'll hear a little bit of the New American Standard. I think a few times in, in the ESV. Consecration is one of those doctrines of Christianity. It's, Noah Webster describes it this way. The act of separating from the common for a sacred use. You were a vessel of dishonor, and now you're a vessel of honor. Your life is set apart. It's dedicated. A believer dedicates his life to Jesus Christ. As Paul said, it's no longer I who will live, but it's Christ who lives in me. We give ourselves to him. You've heard me say it before. Biblical Christianity is giving ourselves away. First to God and then to others. You find it all through the Bible. Enoch's walk, in so many words, it, it corresponded with his talk. You've heard people profess to be believers, but they're, man, what comes out of their mouth and their actions are two different things. God says his walk was pleasing to him. Man, I want to hear those words, don't you? Did you have a pleasing walk unto God? That doesn't mean you're sinless, but you sin less and less, and you're becoming more like him. His walk wasn't just mere lip service. It was all and out, all and out. He gave everything to God. He dedicated himself. Now, in this world, there's too many that claim to be believers, but they don't know God. And you can tell because they do not walk with God. You'll know them by their fruits. And this is where each one of us need to examine ourselves. Now, I want to take you back again to, again, Amos 3, 3, the Amplified. Notice what it says. Do two walk together except for they make appointment and they've agreed? You cannot walk with someone if you don't agree. Why do, why do wives and husbands get a divorce? Because they can't walk together. They can't agree. They can't find a common ground because both people are selfish. Enoch turned his life over to God completely. And this is what you and I need to do is turn our lives completely over to the Lord. Luke 6, 46 says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And we do that same thing to our Heavenly Father. We can find ourselves if we're not careful. If you want to know who's the master, really, of your life, just identify who it is that you obey in your life. Is it your flesh or is it God? Romans 6, 16 says this, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one you obey? Either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. You have a choice. Who will you submit yourself to? Enoch, again and again, walked with God. He submitted to God. He walked for over 300 years, day in, day out, Every day, he walked in harmony with God. Well, Enoch's walk was also a 
a courageous walk. We can identify, I think, with this in our life. Because he walked in a time that, that, that the world was godless, lawless civilization. But because he walked with God, he had the courage to walk in the midst of the, the lawlessness. Many people want to get out of here right now because they, they want to escape. And God say, no, I have you here that you are a testimony. You're to be a testimony to this world. They need to see what a Christian looks like. They need to see what Christ looks like in their life. This is what a Christian life looks like. It takes courage. Some people just want to be in a a, a Christian job with other Christians. No, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And God prepares us for that. And wherever we go, he is with us, no matter what is going on in this world. To do the right thing, no matter what it is. In the Bible, fear disqualifies a man from service. Let me show you in Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. Then the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Who is the man that is afraid and faint-hearted? Let him depart and return to his house so that he might not make his brother's hearts melt like his heart. You know, if you have somebody that's fearful, it is contagious. But if you have somebody that's courageous, man, it will encourage you, it will strengthen you. You'll want what God has for you. You'll be taking steps of faith. The fearful one will do more damage. God gives us Christians who walk courageously a pilgrim pathway. We See, we have to remember, we're just pilgrims in this life. This, is, this place is not our home. Don't get so rooted in this, this place when something goes wrong that, oh, I'm falling apart. You've been there, I've been there. But when Christ comes into our life, it's a different attitude. In 1 John 5, 19, notice what it says. And we know that we are of God, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We can't be angry and mad at the world when the the world's doing what's natural. Their God is the God of this world. That's why we need to be this light. We need to be a, a soldier, as the scripture says. In John 17, verse 14 and 15, it says, I have given them your word, And the world has hated them because they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take me out of the world, but you keep them from the evil. But really, we should be going about our Father's business right now. God, what is it today that you have for me? Anticipate and expect that there's still a work to be done, first in ourselves and then through us. It's in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Notice what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the will of God, and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is worship. This is what Enoch probably did because he did all he did for the glory of God. 
bathed in his love, just being in the presence of, of God, his holiness, convicted, when needed to be convicted and turned in every case. Now Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16 says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except for to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light under the world. A city set up on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. As believers, this is what we're to live like in such a way when the world sees us, they praise God. They see the right hand of blessing upon their life. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament, thrown in to the pit, sold again to the Midianites and gone to Egypt. Always doing the right thing. Potiphar's wife hit on him, he's thrown in jail. But every place he goes, he had favor. They all recognized the hand of God was upon him. You're here in this world to testify there is a God. First, in our actions. Second, in our words. We are to be a blessing unto this world. Enoch's walk was courageous walk because he was in the world, but not of the world. And he lived for God. People say it's really hard to, to live for God now. No, it's a choice. There's power in the word of God. And his spirit is with you and will hold you and guide you and lead you. Well, I want to call your attention again to Enoch's walk. It was a continuing walk. Back in Hebrews eleven five, notice what it says. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness before he being taken up that he was pleasing to God. That's much the same as hearing those words, good and faithful servant. How many want to hear those words, good and faithful servant? One, I, I think all of us do. Pleasing to God. Enoch left this record behind in the, in the Word of God. It's recorded because he was pleasing to encourage you, to exhort you, to see him as a, a mentor, an example to follow, to walk as he would walk. So he leaves this record that should stir our hearts. Lord, I want to be like him. I want to be pleasing to you. Fill my mind and my heart with desires that are pleasing to you. Change me where I need to be changed. One of the most wonderful things about Enoch was his, his testimony left. Again, as I, I, I started, what testimony will you leave when you leave this place? That you love God and you loved others? That you were like Christ? The word of God will speak forever through Enoch's life. Will it speak generation after generation? It's so important. Many people do great things as far as accomplishments in this world. 
However, such accomplishments are temporal. Pass away. The testimony, though, of Enoch was different. His accomplishment will be known throughout every generation. D.L. Moody said something years ago that really impressed upon my heart. Is, and he said, I, I, I've done great things for the Lord the first 10 years of the ministry, but God has done greater things through me. That speaks of that surrendered, consecrated life to God. God's wanting us to learn to get out of his way and let him work through us. C.T. Studd said this, Only one life till soon come to pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. This is surely about the continuing walk of Enoch. What he did for God continued. He was pleasing unto God. Enoch's walk was also a, a comforting walk. Jude one fourteen says this. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of holy ones. Now, Enoch had a, a relationship with God that went beyond the day-to-day continue walk. His walk was pleasing. And I'm sure that God revealed many things in him and through him to that generation. And even that is brought all the way up to the book of Jude. The prophecy. Now many people are seeking after a prophecy. What I think we should be is seeking after a word of God. Now some people call prophecy a word of God. Sometimes a prophecy that I hear is not consistent with the Bible. If it's prophecy, it will edify, build us up, exhort us, comfort us, and it will not conflict the Word of God. This will line up with the book of Revelation. It's consistent, spoken many, many years before, before it was even revealed. The day of the Lord that would happen in the, in the time of the tribulation. The comfort of Enoch's life was an assurance that someday... That his people will dwell in his presence. And in his presence is fullness of joy. No Christian can live godly, consecrated life apart from looking to the Lord's coming. I think we should look for the Lord's coming. But not necessarily an escape theology. Paul would describe paraphrasing. The better thing is to go and be with the Lord. But the needful thing is I need to be here with you. Recognize that you are put here on this earth for such a time as this. Whether it's one person God wants to touch or a hundred people. You have a purpose that you're here. And we need to be available. Titus 2.13 says this. Looking for the blessing, blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Now this is interesting because when we're looking, this is not the rapture of the church. This is looking for the second coming. What's going to happen is when he comes in the second coming, that's the end of the tribulation, he's going to deal with all things. He's going to set things right. We're going to go in the millennial kingdom. He's still ruling with a rod of iron, unfortunately. There won't be the perfect order until the millennial kingdom's over. We're looking for this world 
where there is no sin, no pain, no sorrow like in heaven. The Christian is comforted in the fact that someday, maybe even perhaps today, they will be with Christ. May we be found faithful, though, till his coming. May we occupy until the very last moment and hear those words that you are pleasing unto the Lord. Because of Enoch's walk, he was caught up into God's presence. Verse 5 again, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. Not everyone will die. There will be some at that time of the rapture who will be caught up to be with the Lord. They'll be changed. They'll be transformed. And the reason they're taken out is not just to comfort us. It is comforting. But the timepiece for the tribulation begins. All hell breaks loose. The wrath of God will be displayed during the tribulation is something that I would wish on no one. Just as God wishes that none would perish and all come to the saving knowledge of him. But understand, he was caught up. He fulfilled his purpose. We need to be going about our Father's work right now. And the Spirit will instruct you and guide you when you're in the Word. At last, after 300 years of believing and walking and preaching, he's taken. It's about a God that is so loving, so patient, so long-suffering, wishing that none would perish. That his people, his own, would be pleasing in every way. God just took him up, and he never experienced death. Only two people in the Bible that way. Elijah is the second one. It gives us a glimpse of what we talk about the rapture. Some will argue, no, no, we know that he didn't die. We know he was taken up. The words we can follow, that he's caught up by force. And that idea is that they're taken through this atmosphere, not but gravity, but Satan is trying to prevent them from going up. But God will bring those to him at that time. This is a very simple way, really, of parting this life. We think about parting from time to time. My prayer for my mom was that, Lord, I just pray that you take her in her sleep and she close her eyes and open her eyes up to you, Lord. And she's there in spirit. And one day when the church is raptured, she'll have that new body and we'll be together. And it'll be an amazing time for all of us with God. Again, the faith of Enoch had, which resulted in this unique party, just simply trusting and believing in him. Not even, he wasn't even looking for the rapture, what we know. 
They were just wanting to be with God. That's really where it's at. Not the rapture itself. We get so focused. It's, do you want to be with God? And he's here with us now. Some of us may have left that first love relationship. We get caught up on the theology. The Bible's the theology. We get caught up in terms. It's really the rapture. It's just really about going to be with the Lord. Just keep your eyes on the author and the finisher of your faith. He's coming. He said he'll come. He'll come. And the rapture doesn't occur before. You still go and be with him. God just took him up without experiencing death. But it was not by faith in a, a divine revelation that God said he just didn't know. No concept. No previous example. It was just his lifestyle. He'd just walk with God. And his desire was to be closer and closer with the Lord. We sang that song, Take Me Deeper, Deeper Than I've Ever Been. That should be a prayer for all of us. I believe that was like Enoch's life. Lord, I just want to know you more. Take me deeper into your love than I've ever been. We get caught up on the other things. And it's all about our relationship with Jesus Christ. What kind of relationship do you have with him? Do you long for it? I believe that's really the relationship that Enoch had. He just walked by faith, kept himself right in the middle of God's love, and Enoch was translated. He did not see death. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 53 says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of eye, at the last trump, we will be changed. For this perishable will put on an imperishable. This mortal will put on immortality. This body cannot go to heaven It's corruptible, and you're going to receive a new body fashioned for eternity. And because Enoch pleased God, he was caught up. God reached down, snatched him out of the flames. The judgment was about to come and brought him to himself. Psalm 116.15 says, As precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Hebrews 9.27 says this, Inasmuch as he's appointed men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Except for those who are pleasing to God because they've been born again, 